Hello, my name is Nick Spasic, and you're listening to From and Inspired By, a podcast about soundtracks and the people who make them. On this episode, we talk with composer Max Aruge about his recent scores for Lansky and the Ice Road. Sorry for the delay on this episode. Uh, I got a promotion at work, live shows are returning, and I have been quite overwhelmed. Rest assured, the podcast is still happening. I just needed to catch up on the things which pay money in order to get around to putting together in the next few episodes. So, after uh, much delay, here's our episode on composer Max Arouge. Up-and-coming Los Angeles-based composer Max Arouge had two exciting projects released on June 25th. The crime drama Lansky from Vertical Entertainment profiling legendary gangster Meyer Lansky, and the Liam Neeson-starring action thriller The Ice Road from Netflix. The composer got his start in the industry working at the widely known film music hub Remote Control Productions in Santa Monica, California, where he's worked closely with composer Lauren Balfa on numerous projects including Ad Astra, Black Widow, and HBO's His Dark Materials. Max first collaborated with Lansky writer-director Aton Rockaway on the psychological thriller The Abandoned. Their established working relationship allowed them to delve even deeper creatively this time around. The film takes place in two time periods, Lansky in his earlier years and him looking back at his life in the 80s. To reflect this, Max utilized some 80s Vangelis colors as the musical palette mixed with orchestra. He wanted to create both a sense of darkness and sentimentality to capture both sides of such a complicated figure. The composer also leaned into his Jewish roots by including Jewish colors in the music to reflect Lansky's identity. For The Ice Road, Max collaborated with director Jonathan Hensley, and his goal was to really play into the classic action tropes and create a next-level, bombastic score. Having an archetypal character, led by the iconic Liam Neeson, allowed Max to really dig into the storyline. Once Max had the thematic tapestry nailed down, once Max had the thematic tapestry, once Max had the thematic tapestry nailed down, the rest of the music flowed out. I spoke by phone with Max Arouge about these two films, their differences, and his career. very excited to get to talk to you because uh i first became really 
familiar with your work when for your score for Crawl. Um, and I think that's uh, that was was that your you know your first uh, big release? Yes, yeah, that was the first movie. It was the first studio movie that I had done, and shockingly, it was just a great experience. Yeah. Even though it was the biggest one, it, it just went the smoothest ever. It was fantastic. Well, it the thing about it that I really like is that it captures this sort of watery and claustrophobic uh, sensation that just is through the film pretty much from the very beginning. Um, for for your first feature, you know, studio film, like what was that like having to work with something that is um like so very particular i think it was great because the direction was so clear the movie which is from start to finish and i think you know it showed when audiences watch it, it's just it's fun and it's directed it's non-stop it doesn't get distracted with other things it's like a, it's a classic thriller horror movie and i think uh, you know being a young composer when you watch a movie or any movie you, you fall in love with a certain part of it or the whole thing. And this one, it was just easy to fall in love with because it was, it was, it was focused like jaws or something and you could just play into it. It was very clear. And I think that was the best part about it. Uh, that's very appropriate. I am wearing a jaws tank top today. <laughs> uh, Amazing. Uh, no, no. The, were you slightly nervous working with the director because much of his work i mean like maybe with the exception of like piranha 3d up to that point was not known for fun is not a word uh, <laughs> that would describe a lot of his early work let's say <laughs> i think uh yeah for sure when we met him we thought oh man we're meeting with someone who's you know this is a really serious player in the industry and especially when Sam Raimi walks in, it was, yeah, we were definitely nervous. Um, but, but once we got started and they liked things, we thought, Oh, wait a minute, we're, we're making progress here. This is a good thing. And then rather than being nervous, we're able to lean into it and kind of start to form a relationship with them and build the score together. Once we kind of gained their trust, you know, cause the editors there, you know, they're a team of pros and, we had to earn their trust and get to that starting point so we could then use the stuff we started with and finish the rest of the film. Well, I mean, not to make a terrible pun, but I mean, like uh, he is definitely known for like a lot of tension in his films. And I imagine like that was sort of uh, paramount for for that score. But I'm also <laughs> I'm also assuming that that's the sort of thing that was very um like up there for the score for I the ice road um give it like have how familiar were you with like sort of the uh the current era of Liam Neeson action films when you started working on on, on the score for the ice road I when when I got signed on to do that I was very excited and and everyone knows basically across the world Liam Neeson is the guy He's strong. He's funny. He and I knew that I was going to be able to play into his character. People just like watching him. They like listening to his voice. And I knew that when I spoke with Jonathan Hensley, the director, you know, he wanted the score to do all the things that an action score needs to do. 
There needs to be themes. We have to like the characters. We have to be cheering them on when they're winning and be worried about them when they're in danger. We need to be, we need to know what the villain sounds like. And it's just got to do all these things. And with Liam Neeson in the movie, it, it makes it, it, he makes it easy to have fun with it. <laughs> I was really lucky in that way because he's there and you just get to play one of the best actors ever. Well, in like uh, Jonathan Hensley, like he is known for fun action movies like i mean mm-hmm. like i mean he he his uh directorial uh credits are small but i mean like he did die hard with a vengeance he did mm-hmm. jumanji he <laughs> did armageddon he did the punisher like so mm-hmm. like i mean like this is you know when you get a jonathan hensley script like this is going to be a movie that leans as hard into like making it enjoyable as it does like the action itself. Exactly. So like how do you how do you prepare for like that sort of mix of uh I would never say like a Liam Neeson movie is whimsical, but like definitely like a sense of understanding of of the um the out there nature of some of these stories. Yes. I, I think you that's you frame the question really well because it's it's essentially how do you write a serious action theme that is also fun and I think the the technical way to answer that would be that there needed to be I thought about it a little bit like rock and roll because there needed to be this repeating figure that would come up and get you excited about what's to come. And I think in, I think it's track seven on the album. It's, it's the ice road is the main theme heroes theme. And, and you hear it throughout the movie. Getting that piece right was the most important thing that needed to be done at the beginning. And actually before that, I had another theme that, that we were working with. And then all of a sudden it just didn't work and we had to restart. So getting to that track seven and getting that like ostinato, this kind of repeating motif. And then once, once I realized, oh, this is fun. This is going to get me excited. Then getting the melodic theme that comes in after that, doing those two in tandem, that was the fun aspect of the movie. And I think the audience remembers generally only a few pieces in the movie and that needed to be one of them. So in addition to um, your like composing full scores for full films, like you have done uh, like a lot of work on video games, and you've also done like a lot of. Um, I always find it fascinating, uh, like additional music and production work on scores. And do you find that like coming in and producing some of these scores and uh, creating music that is adjacent to or complementary to like a full score like has how has that helped you like develop your style uh, as a composer on your own uh massively when working with lauren or hans it's their project and they have a vision and let's say you'll be in a scene and Lauren will say, this needs to sound metallic here, or 
he'll give you very specific feedback and you think, okay, God, what do I need to do here? And you really have to sit and it's, I, I think of it like an assignment. I was given an assignment and I have to complete that. And so you just, you're just sitting there at the rig and you're racking your brain and you're trying things and you're experimenting like, you know, quote unquote, proper artist <laughs> who's looking for that perfect thing. So it trains you to be disciplined about looking for and creating the sounds and writing the harmony or the melodies that you need to play into this, this sound that you're going for in the film. So that when I got to the ice road, I thought, okay, I want, the bad guy always to have this sort of sound. So I have to train myself and be disciplined and go, wait a minute, what I wrote here, it's not good enough. I need to make it more sinister. So it's just having that discipline and knowing what that workload is like to make sure what you're creating is in line with your overall image of that character or a place. The thing I was most fascinated about was your ups the score for the upcoming Meyer Lansky picture because there is such like a rich history of score for gangster yes. pictures like the Godfather theme I think being like the one that most people think of but the problem with that is like you either have like this sort of like very um like Italian pastoral score or mm. you have like the Martin Scorsese route where, you know, it's, it's all, you know, classic rock um, yes. or, or, you know, oldies uh, it, it, that I think people remember more than I think people remember Layla in Goodfellas uh, That's more right. than any of, of the score. So I was very intrigued to see that like you had leaned sort of into Lansky's, Jewish roots, which, uh, what was the, the, the research for, for that in order to give it this sort of feel that pays homage to his heritage, but also like lets you step outside the traditional sort of gangster picture score. Yes. Yeah. Working on that one, uh, Lansky was, was a, big undertaking because like you said there's there's so much that has come before it in that realm and it's based on a true this is a real person so it really has to be you really have to respect the character um so alongside playing into the the jewish roots which i'll come back to the 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 directive before that from Aton was that he wanted the score to have an 80s evangelist quality since the older lansky that takes place in the 80s and we so starting with that and then bringing in acoustic instruments and in particular solo instruments like violin and cello, bringing that in was the overall base of the score. And then then we got to this point where, OK, now we need to discuss all the things he did with Israel and for the Jewish people. So that's when I wrote him for Meyer. And once I wrote that track, that it was just kind of a winner and it we just knew that that would work for all of these scenes when discussing the jewish people and uh yaniv hoffman he's a singer he sang it a male vocalist on a bunch of these cues and creating a sense of nostalgia and a sense of longing for the homeland that that was the that was the goal there and i hope that um we achieve that but yeah he's a complicated person and and so the 80s 
and the Jewish roots. That was the kind of the the way we encapsulated it. I I I have to admit, like like when I'm thinking about it, like I, I I'm like you know like nostalgia and that sort of music like you don't i imagine you don't want it to be like very oh mine papa sort of thing <laughs> right uh, right uh but like what when when you're thinking of evangelists like just given like their sheer like i guess guess breadth of of 80s score was there a particular like film score to which you were looking um, no. Vangelis, I think all we wanted to do was think about colors. Mm. Um, we wanted to think about colors. And then from there, I did, I feel like something like Godfather is still a good example because that theme, you just hear it throughout. And my goal is that we, on track one of the album, that's Lansky's theme, and, and you'll hear that throughout the film. So I still wanted there to be a really clear theme very clear so that when you hear it, you know that this is an emotional moment or a triumphant moment. Um, so I think it, it was both. It, it had to be both because with a two hour movie with a lot of drama, you've got to have a good theme or else there's just going to be, you know, unthematic music, which I think would be a shame with such a great movie, a great, great movie and a great screenplay like that. I think that that pairs very well, like the the songs for Lansky pairs sort of very well with the fact that you also had like another set of songs uh, just come out uh, digitally, the the soundtrack for uh, Quinceañero. Uh, and like, those are all songs like that's not a, a, yes. a score. That's that's essentially <laughs> like a, a very short album or a, a very long EP, depending on how you want to look at it. Um, right. Like delving in into the music uh the world of latin music what w- what was that like for you it was scary it was it was really scary I, I was amazed that the director entrusted stefan and i to work on that um but also it was again it was like an assignment it's like okay i have to write a musical half in english half in spanish and we called antonio soul basically immediately and said would you want to work on this with us and we were amazed that he agreed He's an awesome guy and a fantastic singer. And so we just embarked on this little journey of writing these, these little musical songs. And we basically just wrote these pieces. And then Chef and I, we just kind of sang and took lyrics, uh, took words and phrases from the screenplay and weaved it into the songs. And we just did our best. And then we got the director to kind of approve or give notes. Then we sent it to Antonio and then he made real lyrics and sang. It was this weird process that we thought was the best we could do. And I think it worked out pretty well. So it was kind of a great little challenge. Well, that sounds, in addition to being a a challenge, it sounds like a really fun collaborative process in that, like you've got, you know, the director offering his notes, the, the two of you are working together, and then you have someone else like fashioning your uh, sketches into like full blown songs, which yes. I, I, I feel like a lot of people think of like composers as working uh, like uh, solo in a studio, like coming up with stuff and then eventually bringing it to, you know, uh, either an orchestrator or, or to an orchestra. Um, so mm. uh, that, that sounds like that's a, a, a lot more 
fun and I think outside of what a lot of people think a composer does these days. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it, it takes a little extra time to do this stuff because if you send something to someone, they say, well, there's these words aren't working or is this the right melody for this section? So you have to go back and like rework on it. So the pr- the part of time before you get to recording is longer, I think. And we had to finish the songs before they recorded, uh, excuse me, before they shot the movie, basically. So that part of the process was way different. But uh, but it was exciting, exciting and fun to be part of something new and and different. It's, that's always the thing I, as many composers and as many musicians as I, I've spoken with, it's the thing that always keeps coming up. It's like, oh, if there are songs that are sung in a movie, those have to get done first. So you're kind of operating mm-hmm. in this very strange vacuum where like, <laughs> these are going to be a very integral part of the story, but like you don't get to see like what you're normally doing, which is like, well, you can at least see part of the picture and get an idea of what right. you're doing. <laughs> yeah. And, and going, going to set and seeing that the actors had been practicing. And then there was a choreographer there, this guy named Ambrosio, and he had been working with it along with his dance team. It was really so humbling to see that, wow, all these people, they've been learning this stuff and I've never seen a bit of picture. I've only looked at the screenplay but it just it, it, I, the word faith comes to mind. Everyone had faith in what we were doing, and I think it worked. Um, yeah, it was a little bit like like flying blind a bit, but I'm, <laughs> I'm happy I got to do that. So now that uh, like you have like uh, Quinceanero just came out, uh, Lansky and the Ice Road are on their way um like in just a little bit what uh what else are you working on that you can uh talk about i imagine that as people get vaccinated and things like that uh work is starting to ramp up for for everyone yes yeah things are getting back to normal a bit and people going back to set which is great working on a documentary right now called uh does your vote count and it's by director Emily Carlson. So I'm working on that right now. It's kind of a collection of American hymns um, because she went around the country and interviewed people about uh, about the voting process and the election. So I'm working on that at the moment. And that's kind of unfolding. And I think like any documentary, you know, it starts a certain way. But as the process goes along, things change and shift. So I'm excited to see where that goes. And, and you've worked with Emily Carlson before, right? Yes. Yeah, I worked on a documentary with her about the immigration process a few years ago, and she's a friend of mine and a, a lovely person, so I'm happy to team up with her again. Well, I mean, like, that sounds, uh, like, if, if I... Uh... The, if I remember about I Am America, which I that was the documentary, right? That's like, right. That's a that's a interesting like sort of uh, like pair like talking about the electoral process and and also talking yes. about immigration. Like that seems very much uh, of a theme. Yes, yeah. She she's she's very interested in kind of what's going on right now, and I think a lot of people are. So I'm happy that I know someone who's who's making content and working on things and seeking out information and making something. So I'm glad to be part of that process. Well, that's fantastic. I can't wait uh, for for people to get to hear these scores in full and for people to see these Thank films. You. 
Uh, and uh, Max, thank you so much for taking time to talk to me today. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, Nick. So great to chat. Thanks to Max Arouge for speaking with me. You can find the musician's work on Twitter and Instagram at Max Arouge, that's M-A-X-A-R-U-J, and his website is maxarouge.com. The scores for Lansky and the Ice Road are out now digitally from Lakeshore Records. You can find links to purchase all of the music you heard on the show in the show notes for this episode, which are at fromaninspiredby.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at fromaninspiredpod, and can be found on Instagram at fromaninspiredby. You can subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Click those follow and subscribe buttons, please. Also, please hit up the website and click on the aid and assistance button to help pay for web hosting and long distance fees. And remember to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. We'll be back next week talking cover songs with Punk Rock Factory. Until then, thanks for listening.